Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Steven, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-hosts, Aaron. Hey guys. And Laura. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing the doctrine of the Trinity, which is one of the most important yet misunderstood doctrines of scripture. We hope you stick around for the full discussion. Well, we are here in the studio. The past three weeks have felt very crazy, at least for me. I don't know about you guys, but like I feel completely just like what is happening. I wake up every day wondering what day is it. I think part of that is that all of us went on vacation. So I think we all are feeling like the aftermath of vacation. Laura came in the studio today and she's like, you guys just don't seem yourself today. Yeah, I kept asking, are you okay? Like, do you guys want to need to take a walk? And Steve and I are like, well, we just came back from vacation, but I think it's like coming back from the vacation, realizing that like like, everything you left from vacation vacation is still there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> vacation it didn't withdrawal. go away. I think it is. Yeah. I think we're just having vacation withdrawals because you were just out of town, right? With your wife, you guys went on vacation. Yeah, and last it week. was weird for me too because the week before our vacation, we took our students to camp, and so while I was still working, it was like I was disassociated from my office and like normal routine. And so, and then I got back Saturday night and we had a 12 hour turnaround to wash clothes and sleep. And then we flew to Florida Mm. and we were gone all week. And so like for me coming back, it's just like, what is going on? What day is it? What time is it? I didn't take my phone on our vacation. Uh, That was a deal my wife and I made. And it was very nice, but I do understand how people kind of like lose track of the days, you know, like those movies about like the guys who got stuck in prisons and stuff. I get that. I yeah, did. I thought I get, today was Friday. Did you just come back from vacation yeah, too? Oh, did you really? Back Where did you guys go? Friday. We went to Chincoteague, Virginia. Virginia. Which, have you ever heard of the mis- heard of like this. the books? I mean, Virginia, the kids I have, but books, not like, um, the Misty of Chincoteague books, they're like a children's series Chinkety. about the wild ponies. I've never heard of this. Wild ponies. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, Jessica and I were talking See? about the wild swim. ponies on our way yeah. back. Yeah. They so, swim the channel every, except COVID year. And this year they canceled this it this year, year but too. But they do a big pony swim. Last year they oh, okay. canceled it. They have this big thing. They're where not they, wild ponies. They are wild. They, are. they round them up and then they bring okay. them into the town and then they auction some of them off and take the rest of them back. Yeah. Oh, and man. it's called pony penning, but they do it every year but the last couple years last year and this year they had to cancel it so you didn't see ponies we saw ponies but they were out in the wild not like in the town yeah they're like fully wild like when we used to we used to go um actually we went on family vacations with laura's family back in the day and uh we would like ride bikes and you'd be riding bikes and you'd look out in like a marsh and there's like a pack of ponies just chilling so it's a pretty cool cool place so everybody's been to the beach this summer, yes. right? Because we all were at the beach, just different yes. beaches. Yes. But it is good bit to be back, good to be back in the routine and uh, to be here on the podcast today, to have you with us. We're talking about a very interesting, and I think, Stephen, maybe people would say uh, misunderstood, yeah. confusing topic uh, yeah. that we're going to talk about today. I think some people might label it misunderstood. Some people might label it unimportant. Some people might lane it uh label it um, just that they don't even know what they're really talking about when you talk about it. And so we're discussing the Trinity. And I think as we kind of get our bearings here in the discussion, um, I think a good question is, how did you understand or even first hear about the concept of the Trinity? Or how did you maybe understand it growing up? What was kind of your first impressions 
of the concept us. of the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we all did grow up in a church context, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Did all of us grow up in a church context? Yes. I know I did, and Stephen did. Yes. You did as well. So I guess with that being the case, the teaching that I was given growing up in the church, I, I would say I came from a I came from a very strong Bible believing church that really did a great job of uh unpacking and um, explaining doctrine. I know that that's not everybody's experience, but my church growing up very much so specifically in like their small group ministries uh, would, would take a lot of time very systematically. I mean, they, they were very programmed, not in their ministry, but in their materials. So like from the time you would grow up in maybe Sunday school or you would be in like an adult small group or, or a Sunday school class, something like that. Um, it was not left up to the individual or the class teacher what materials they would be going through. Quite often, it was very well like structured among all the grades. So I did feel like because I came from a church that had a very strong discipleship focus that I probably feel like I got a pretty good uh, teaching uh, on it. But I would say, although I feel like I got a lot of teaching Growing up about uh, the Trinity and and what does it mean to uh, worship a triune God, I I think that in my experience, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit was probably most neglected in that. I think there was a lot of emphasis placed on God the Father, the work of Christ, but it seemed to me that the the work of the Holy Spirit was kind of a side piece rather than like central to the whole thing. I don't know. What about you, Laura? That was kind of my experience. I was really trying to think about it. Um, I, I think that maybe, like you said, the emphasis would be more on God the Father and God the Son. And there was teaching and talk of the Holy Spirit. But for me, my earliest recollection is that it was mostly in connection. Like the Holy Spirit is mostly in connection to conviction. Mm. So conviction um, leading us to Christ or as a believer, conviction of sin that we need to make right in our lives. So um, more in like, I don't mean negative in a bad way, but more like associated the work of the Holy Spirit with sin rather than you know, the other, there are other aspects to it, like walking in the spirit and, you but know, the emphasis yeah. was placed on conviction. That that's at least the feeling that I get when I try to remember as a child. Honestly, I could, I could probably agree with that. Okay. I think the circles that I was a part of growing up, that was probably true. Stephen, what about you? Yeah. As far as like the terms and the terminology, I mean, I remember hearing the term Trinity thrown around and, you know, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. I grew up in a church, much like you all described. I think as far as the practicality of the doctrine of the Trinity was probably much less um, impactful as far as like, well, how does the truth about God being triune truly affect me as a Christian, you know, or how should it affect me as a Christian? Why is it important? And really, um, really just honing in on um, the, how that description of God is so life-changing for me as a Christian, you know, Mm. and what it truly means. So maybe you're listening and you grew up in an area where it was just like completely ignored. Uh, Maybe the Trinity was completely ignored in your context. Uh, Maybe you're new to Christianity and you're kind of just like, I have no idea what's going on. Or maybe you grew up in a context where you felt like you kind of got jaded maybe. Maybe uh, there was uh, misunderstandings about the Trinity or you just felt like it was not taught well. Uh, Today, though, we yeah. want to get to the bottom of it and go to the God's word. 
I would say that this is a doctrine where there seems to be a lot of misunderstandings. Like when we when we think about a lot of some of the core underpinning doctrines of Christianity, I would probably argue that the doctrine of the Trinity probably has more misunderstandings that are prevalent uh, than others. And there also is a true divine mystery uh, mm-hmm. to some of these things. I, I think about what Jonathan Edwards um, once said after studying the doctrine of the Trinity, and this is what he said. He said that I think that the doctrine of the, of the Trinity to be the highest and deepest of all divine mysteries. And so while there is a lot of mystery to it, and it is a subject that is maybe challenging uh, to understand, it is a doctrine. And it's a doctrine that professing Christians from historically a large range of denominations have agreed on ever since uh you know, the beginning of the church, right? And so there is this aspect that when we think about God being a triune God, and we think about the implications of that, that that belief, that doctrine uh, is foundational to Christianity. And I think we just want to take a minute here, at least I would like to, and talk about the importance of why doctrine matters. I know we've referenced this maybe in some previous episodes, but I think it's important today in the society that many of us are living in, um, specifically in the West, in a day and age where honestly, almost anything goes, you know, as we think about spiritual things, it, it seems to be that people would say, well, if, if I just believe in Jesus, or if I, if I have a relationship with Jesus, then that's enough. And yet I don't need to understand why I believe uh, certain things. And so I guess I would just ask us, you know, the question at the table here, why does doctrine matter? Laura? Well, Doctrine, okay, for the sake of our listeners and everything, what does doctrine mean? Mm. Like, how would you define that? I would think of it as a body of belief. I know we've talked about okay. that on the podcast before. It's a just a it's a, a body of belief. A, a system of, is that I wouldn't a, even say system. Say I system. would just say it's a it's a it's a particular belief, mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe a, a grouping, a, a body of belief uh, that has been held mm-hmm. uh, throughout the church uh, historically, and so it would be you know a doctrine. It's um, um I, I, let me say it this way. I think there's a lot of people today that would push back against that word when they hear the word doctrine right. you know they push back and they say well man, we, we don't need doctrine we don't need church mm-hmm. history we don't need no creed but the bible you know there's 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 really a push today uh to to disregard things of the past to disregard things that were historic the things that um i mean i mean just look at our society today look at look at the rejection of right. history within our own society let alone things particular in scripture i i do think it's interesting that when you see the church today and doctrines creeping into the church it often has come at the expense of of the broad church not understanding church history well yeah and it's also due to the fact of when you don't have any doctrine um it's just a wide open blank space canvas there's good doctrine and bad doctrine good doctrine is what we would define as a biblical set of beliefs so thus if i have good doctrine my doctrine will line up with the bible so the whole idea of i just need god's word and nothing else well god's word is a set of beliefs (laughs) it is doctrine and so your doctrine can be biblical uh, but you must have a way of thinking through things and what you believe about god and his word um, cause if not, you're just gonna have a blank canvas where anything exactly. goes. And that's where, that's a heyday for false doctrine to creep in and to well, own. So would it be correct to say that 
your doctrine that you hold would be like the lens through which you look at the world, through which you look at. It's what a person believes about God. I think, Mm -hmm. um, wasn't it Tozer that said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important Mm -hmm. thing about us. And I just affirm what Tozer says. I think he's exactly right. It's, It's what comes into your mind when you think about God. That in of itself right there is what you believe about doctrine. Because when we think about doctrines, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity today on the podcast. Well, we're, we're, we're dealing with the person and nature of who God is, mm-hmm. right? And so from the very outset, just to say, oh, well, I believe in God. But but the minute you ask a person, well, what is it you believe about God? Doctrine gives us more specifics. You've instantly gone mm-hmm. into the realm of doctrine, whether or not you want to, whether or not you want to talk about it. I think um, Kevin DeYoung, he, I think like a number of years ago, he put out a really neat article in which he was talking about this, and he 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 kind of referenced it this way. He was like, you know, if if I talk about the love that I have for my wife and how amazing my wife is. And someone was to ask him, you know, to describe his wife to her. And he says, oh, well, I really don't know those things, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or tell me about, you know, what color her eyes are, what color her hair is. And he says, well, I'm not really into those things. But about I love her. her. But I still really yeah. love her. You know, well, he, he was just saying, you know, I wouldn't even be able to pick my own wife out in a crowd. You'd wonder you'd wonder if I even know her at all. And I think he 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 nailed it on the head because that's exactly what people today uh, have this perception of who God is because mm-hmm. we want to bring in in our lives and are in our society um, things that that we want God to be and so we want God to be like us mm-hmm. and and we we can't fathom a God who is distinctly different from us and so. I think that's that's the issue because our society today, people want to measure truth based off of emotion of how it makes them feel or what they feel like they can find comfort in or what they feel like they what, what, what they want to believe. But what you're doing is you're beginning to paint a picture of God that is not revealed mm-hmm. in scripture of who he's revealed himself to be. You know, and so I think what what's so important today is when we're going to talk about the Trinity, is what we're really doing is we're we're just kind of unpacking what the Bible is teaching and saying and revealing to us about who God is because it's it's that identity of who God is that's going to shape so many things about our life. It's going to yeah. shape the way that we perceive ourselves and frame uh, our own understanding. And so I just think. So the study of doctrine is not yeah. overwhelming. It's not no. scary. It is learning about our God yes. and learning about the body of belief that the church has held for so long. I find a lot of comfort in church history and the creeds and learning about the things that we have we have held to be true about God and about his word since the church age began. And I think today what we're going to do for just a brief time is we're just beholding the beauty of who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, we're considering who he is. So, so Stephen, help us frame our discussion today. Where are we going from here as we talk about the Trinity? Well, we're wanting to see the this idea of the Trinity throughout Scripture and throughout history, I would say, as well. And uh, we're wanting to really understand who God is. Uh, we always throw that term around, you know, God. But um, every other language has a term for God as well, you know, depending on what language you speak, they all refer to their God, you know. And um, in Arabic, they would refer to their God as Allah, right? And while that might have connotations 
past the language and the religion of Islam, that's still how they refer to him. So what is different about our God? What, what God do we serve? I think is kind of where we're wanting to get at and what we're wanting to chip away at today. I think it's the, I think it's the very beginning of the book of Genesis that God is a God who speaks that he's a God who has revealed himself to us. And he says, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. And I think this is important to say this here because quite often when people want to talk about the Trinity, they want to approach it from either being something that seems self-evident or something that seems logically discoverable. That if, that if I can just make sense of enough verses, if I can put all the puzzle pieces together, then I can come to understand that this is who God is. And that's a wrong way to go about it because we need to begin where the Bible begins in the book of Genesis and that he's a God who speaks and in speaking, this is who he has revealed, revealed himself to be. This is, uh, he is telling us and showing us uh, who he is like. And so I think about Genesis, um, you know, God speaking the world into existence. And then you, you see God making his really his covenant with uh, Moses and and Abraham. And and I think it's in Deuteronomy, isn't it? Where we see uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you mm-hmm. shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so, I mean, the this is who God's revealing exactly, himself to be. Exactly. And I think it's time for like a little fun fact for everyone too. Like if you're sitting at home and you're reading your Bible and you're like, why is it say God, Lord? Like why is all of my uh, letters capitalized? It's because it's different words in the original language. If and that's like Bible really important. Does not capitalize L O R D. Get sign. a new Bible. <laughs> bad <laughs> sign. Say. You have massive issues. Uh, the reason is, is because Elohim is a Hebrew word that is used for God or gods. It is literally just a generic term for a God. Uh, like we would almost be like, Hey, do you believe in a God? Or do you believe in a deity? It's That's the same word that's used there for Elohim. However, the word for Yahweh is Jehovah. Or in our, or our English Bibles is the word that... Capital L, capital, L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it's God's covenant name that is used all throughout scripture between those who worship him and those who have chosen to follow after him. It even appears in Genesis 1 when it talks about the creation story. And the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the God that we serve. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, later when we're talking about some of our Bible verses and Bible chapters that you see this concept in, I believe that you actually see it in Genesis chapter 1 but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Okay, so let's start there in in uh, in Deuteronomy 6 talking about the Lord, right? So the doctrine of the Trinity is distinctive to Christianity. I mean, you referenced that earlier as you were talking about uh, Islam. I mean, uh, what is so distinctive about Christianity is this do- particular doctrine about serving a triune God. So let's define uh, our terms, Laura. Could you do that for us, as we as we can have maybe a working definition of the Trinity? So, what exactly do you want to find? Well, I think historically, what the church has come to affirm when they mm-hmm. think about like the Triune the Trinity, God, okay, it would be a, a, something as simple as God mm-hmm. is one in essence, mm-hmm. three in persons. How, have you okay. guys heard that before? Oh, yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Is that I, new? Is that, I always, maybe that's new to our listeners. I don't know. That might be new. I always like to emphasize too. It's three, three distinct persons. 
uh, a lot of times people want to overlap the person. Stephen has some <laughs> pet peeves about how people uh, the, the father, the Holy Spirit, the and the son. Yeah. And Did they you are have those before or after seminary? Uh, definitely probably after. <laughs> <laughs> definitely after undergrad, there but definitely ways, after seminary. There are some ways that people try to like illustrate the Trinity, and Stephen has... Um, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen puts his head in his hands. Okay, before we get <laughs> into those, because we will yeah, get, we're into get into yeah, those. Yeah. I can't cringe too early. Yeah, but, but, but three we, distinct persons yeah, well, God, and one God. Yeah, one in mm-hmm. essence, Yeah, three in persons. And I think in the Deuteronomy passage in Deuteronomy 6, we're seeing what is really emphasized there in God being one in essence. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. So he is one in essence. And yet we see the story of the Bible unfolding that God uh, is three in persons. And so uh, this was a this was a topic that the early church definitely had to grapple with, right? Because there was a lot of heresies that would spring up. And I think probably people that would be opponents of the doctrine would be really quick to point out and they would say, oh, wait, hold on a second. The word Trinity uh, does not appear in the Bible. So therefore, correct. it is not a biblical concept. I, I've heard people argue from that and that is correct. Line of reason. That is cor- the statement is correct. Mm-hmm. The word Trinity doesn't. The appear line in the of reasoning is not correct, right. but the statement is correct. Mm-hmm. But the word Trinity is a word. Uh, it's a Latin word that just simply means threeness. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, that that word Trinity it comes from a Latin word which is talking about threeness or being threefold. And so when the Bible uh, is revealing Yahweh God to us. Um, it, we, we see that in Deuteronomy 6, that the Lord is one, but then you see that he is three in persons. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was Martin Luther, one of the reformers, he said it this way. He says, we believe the divine majesty to be three distinct persons of one true essence. So what do you say to the person that says, man, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I looked it up in my concordance and it's not there. And you would say to them what? Well, I mean, I would say, first off, you're correct. Um, <laughs> you discovered that it was a Latin word and not a Greek word or a Hebrew word, so it won't be in your concordance. Um, but also, um, I would argue that it was used very early on in church history. Uh, the, the, it is a Latin word, but it was developed by the church father, Tertullian, who was very, very early on, I believe, uh, second or third century AD. Coined the term. Uh, yes, You're he coined the term. Not developed, but he And I believe it. it's, uh, I believe he was around in second or third century AD. And then also a church father who's very well respected, Athanasius, uh, when he was writing his letters to uh, Serapion, he literally, his whole idea was the subject of the Holy Spirit. But throughout, he kept arguing for the distinctness of the Trinity, each person, but also the unity that they had. Hmm. Um, and then he also argued that the makeup or the ontology who uh, God is, was the same between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That it did not change based on um, whether it was the Father or the Son, it was the same. And that's well early on in church history. So you're arguing against like church history at that point. But also, secondly, you're right that the word isn't there, but also it's a word used to describe a concept that we see in scripture. The concept is this, that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they are all three distinct, yet one God. Uh, <laughs> and you, you can't read through God's word completely and come away not seeing that. You have to see it if you read it with an open yeah, mind. Yeah, I feel like somebody who's going to come at you with, you know, the Trinity's not in the Bible. I mean, the word's not used in the Bible, but I feel like somebody who's going to 
you know, be against the doctrine of the Trinity hasn't be- spent a whole lot of time reading the Bible. Right. So. Well, and and it's about being, right? I mean, it's 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 one in essence or one in being, yet three in persons. And so, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God yeah. the Holy Spirit, and um, yeah, it's and, and the it, Father is not the Son, mm-hmm. and the Son is not the Spirit. Exactly, and it. The way I always think of it, like, too, is like some times people I've seen like this one equation that people use and it's like God equals the father plus the son plus the Holy Spirit. No, (laughs) it's not plus. (laughs) Uh, They are each God. God equals the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, That's how it works. And it's you. You mentioned it's who they are. It's their being. Um, it's a fancy word that people use ontology, but it, it's literally their being who, so, who or what someone is. And it's not the economy. Like it's not what they do right by the word economy. It's not like what the father, the son and the Holy spirit do that makes them the Trinity. It's who they are. Right. Um, because God created the earth. That doesn't make, that doesn't make God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy spirit, the creator that makes them the Trinity. And no, it's who they are. Right. The creator is just the role that God uh, was in. So and I think historic, it's important to see that. Yeah. So, so historically, uh, you know, the church would affirm that, that God is one in essence and three in persons. And I think it's sometimes easier to understand what we believe, uh, within the church by stating what we don't believe. Right. So uh, throughout church history, uh, there have been some heresies that have popped up within the church that uh, have been regarded as a heresy uh, regarding um, the nature of of the Godhead of of the Triune God. So let's just take three of these. I know we could probably spend our time on a lot, but I think if we talk about three of these heresies describing what um, we don't believe, it'd probably be easier than to kind of affirm what, what the church is affirming regarding the Trinity. Yeah, and I think the first one you see is actually still quite alive and well. Uh, (laughs) And it's actually alive and well in many well-meaning Christians uh, (laughs) that literally they don't believe it, I don't think. But the way they talk about the Trinity makes you think they believe it. Uh, Has anybody ever seen the meme going around? Or is it just a seminary meme where the guy's like, that's modalism, Patrick? That is going to be a seminary meme. That is a seminary meme, man. I'm way, way way deep in the roots there, in the weeds there. Sorry about that, guys. Anyway, no, modalism is simply the idea that God is one person who has appeared in different modes thus modalism at different points in and outside of time. Thus, for an example, God became the person of Jesus to come and save us. Right. And then God became the father who created, or God became the Holy spirit who he, he comes in different different names for God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The, yeah, different names for the same God, but they're acting in different roles or manifestations. It is an effort to really, I'm not excusing the heresy that it is because it is heresy, uh, but I, they do. They have a well-meaning intent of trying to point out the unity of God, and it's in actually, it's in pushback to the second heresy that we have. It's that probably they do that. emphasizing the unity of God so much that they that they've get stepped the over the line exactly. So, so what makes it a heresy? When was it? Well, the fact that they believe that God is not distinct persons Persons. that it's different modes because that takes away the personhood of the son the spirit and the father mask it's like it's like god put on this Mm -hmm. mask of this person and then this person but Mm -hmm. it's not three distinct and the bible would argue that that's not 
how it happened. It's God is the father. God is the son and God is the Holy spirit. He didn't put on a mask. Well, and I think I'd point to point moments like Jesus's baptism where you see all three. Oh, we're going to get there. It's okay, so sorry. Good. It's yeah. so good. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Uh, that, I don't know. That teaching reminds me of, we lived in Southeast Asia and there's some, there are some other religions that like yes. Eastern religions that would hold yes. to this teaching as well. So it is really important um, to be distinct in Christianity and the way that we do talk about God. That's good. That's good. So then the second uh, probably major heresy uh, throughout the church is tritheism. Yes. And I believe modalism was actually a pushback to tritheism because right. tritheism emphasizes that we serve three different gods, thus the God the father, you know, plus it would be what what Mormonism holds to. Yes. Like three distinct beings, three separate gods. Yes. Almost kind of a polytheistic um, approach. So modalism Um, would have been like a overcorrection. I, that's well, what I believe. I, think I it believe abandons it's an the unity of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. It abandons the unity where the other is overemphasizing the Trinity. So it's, mm-hmm. if you kind of think about it in like a pendulum, you know, tritheism would be on one extreme, individuality, and modalism mm-hmm. on the other, unity. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's an overemphasis of one of the of of either of those two statements that God is one in essence, three in persons. And then early on within the church, I think it is important to also note. Uh, that there was another heresy yeah. that popped up. Subordinationism. You got anything on that, Aaron? Uh, would you? Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> I'll pick seven think... and you correct me where I fall go short. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I believe subordinationism you see in certain things. Uh, you see it in things like Arianism and others where they focused on the lack thereof of one of the, yeah, yeah, on the lack thereof in one of the persons of the Godhead. Um, I just love this because because Laura literally just laughed. She's we like need to find our terms, don't we? Arianism is just, not the. No, that's exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> Laura's like, I was not tracking with you. It's no. not speaking okay, of well, the let's, new let's version, help, by the way. Let's 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 help one another and Laura together here. So, yeah. so early church council, one mm-hmm. of the biggest issues regarding the Trinity uh, was what what many refer to today as Arianism, mm-hmm. right? which is this teaching that says the son was subordinate to the father, meaning that it denied the deity of Christ. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Right. It was denying the deity of Christ. And so they would look at verses particular where it talks about the son being begotten of the father Mm -hmm. and what the implication that was being drawn wrongly was that he was created by the father, meaning that Christ was not divine. It's really Mm -hmm. the whole same thing that Paul is arguing in the book of Colossians, Mm -hmm. where he's talking about the significance of the person and work of Christ. And he's saying, well, Jesus is the exact uh, representation. He's the exact imprint mm-hmm. of the Father. He is. He is the Father, right? So, um, it, there was there was this. Uh, it really was a very prominent heresy that was coming uh, up within massive. the church that was condemned at the Nicene Council in three twenty five. So, yeah. those of us that are in church history or you know very maybe massive. seminary so land, we probably be, grab that. Would but, it be simplistic to say that it was a teaching of hierarchy within the yes, Trinity? Exactly. Yeah, okay. There yeah, you go. Exactly. Yeah. So once again, trying to teach subordination Mm -hmm. within the Trinity and what it's doing is it's rejecting what we would affirm about Christ uh, or, or the nature 
of the Godhead that they are one in essence, one in essence, co-equal, and three in persons. Yeah, but they are co-equal and have the same authority yeah. and ability. That's good. So, so Harris, enough about the heresies. Yeah. But but I think maybe as you were tracking with, hopefully you're still here, right? Uh, if you're still with us, you you can see that oftentimes the heresies have come as we have uh, in history past have. Uh, in present, uh, overemphasized one aspect of the Trinity to the to the neglect of of the other. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I think instantly the pushback from like a listener at home might be like, "Well, I'm not a heretic, and I would never even understand what you're talking about." But I think that we need to understand that heresies actually don't just generally, not always, sometimes, but they don't always start off by being heresy. They start off with misunderstandings and misconceptions. I believe. Um, they, they, start, start, they start with poor illustrations. So well, yeah, people I don't mean, start out saying, I want to be a heretic. <laughs> generally, let's, generally. Let's talk about this because I know we all grew up in, if you grew up in church culture, any length of time, you get taught the Trinity, not by the teaching of scripture. You get taught the Trinity by an illustration, an, an picture. Yeah. Yeah. A picture. And the problem is that pictures fall short. Uh, you know, analogies break down at some point. So what are some of the most prominent analogies as we talk about the Trinity? Laura? Steven's personal favorite is the egg. No, the egg? no, 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 no. I have one that I dislike more. Okay. Water is the one I dislike the most. <laughs> okay. Because okay. it literally. So what is the, give us the egg one first, then well, we'll talk about the water. Okay. Well, often the, the, often the illustration that's used to describe yeah, the Trinity that it's is one egg, one egg, but then the egg is made up of three parts, three parts, three parts the one shell, shell one yolk yeah. and one white. Yeah. Well, the only issue is is that those are three like completely separate things. They're not like they the don't same have the, in essence. They don't like have the, the same essence. Not the same as the yolk they don't have and the, the yolk. Right. Okay. So you could argue that that's either like tritheism or if you're arguing that one is more important than the other, thus the yolk working out, that you're arguing subordination. So you're a heretic then. I'm literally thinking like, of little heretic Laura in third grade sitting on the front pew in her Sunday school class while her teacher's like, the egg is like the trinity. I'm like, okay. No, 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 That's no, fine. no. It's not like an egg. It's completely different than an egg. It's unlike any egg that it's not even close to an egg. Uh, it's unlike anything that we can explain. I think Steven's more passionate about this though since he's in seminary right I now. I think so. Uh, water uh, is my least favorite yeah. because it literally is modalism they're saying that water okay. appears in different forms i'm gonna be honest i had never that heard that one yeah that's no, a big no. one see that's a big so, one like when you think about water like you know ice water i, mean, I, thought, I track with you vapor. but i had never yeah. heard that one yeah i'm shocked that you've never heard that one that's a huge one and i'm always just like sitting there like no there's it's another not, one that's not, not on like our that. list and i was wondering if you had Which ever one? been taught the pretzel the pretzel Wow, I stumped what? the seminarians. The pretzel? <laughs> yeah, like, I've never like heard I'm holding my hands up. You know, like yeah, a pretzel has three the parts, the of, three parts of a pretzel, but they're one pretzel. But they're not the same and they're not equal. But they are the same essence. <laughs> hey, that's better than the egg in the water. I mean, I'll give it to it. It's not, it's they're not all as pretzel, bad. They're guys. It's not as bad. Okay. <laughs> so, so here's, here's anyway. the thing. It, it might seem like a light thing on the surface. And I... But I, I do think it's important within the church that like when we're going to teach about the nature of God, the person of God, that that yeah, we, we do so in a way, I mean, ultimately, yeah, right, any analogy or any illustration is going to fall short. Those are helpful, maybe to an extent, but they really do all break down at some point, and they probably all break down in a way that drives us closer to a, a heresy than the doctrine and the truth of Scripture. So I think it's much easier to describe the Trinity. I, I think where, where we want to fall, I think we're often people— um, 
mess up as, as we think about this and we talk about it is that we, we try to use words that the Bible doesn't use. And I think if we, uh, maybe I'm too simplistic here, but I think if we, if we were to explain even, even in my preaching and, and when, when I talk about, I, I mean, sometimes maybe I've referred to the Trinity, but I think most often I talk about the Godhead, mm-hmm. you know, and, or you, you, you find words that, that the Bible uses. And I think it, it, sometimes we, we complicate it. We were actually talking about that before the podcast today that man, it, it, it is easy if, if we're not careful to overcomplicate some of these really fundamental doctrines, but yet there is a divine mystery to it. And, and we, you know, I mean, I just think about some of the, some of the greatest um, expositors, preachers of the Bible, like that, that I can point back to people like uh, Luther and um, Calvin and, and so many, so many people that, that spent so much time like researching and, and formulating and explaining these concepts. And yet, you know, it, they describe the mystery that's there in that. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's right to um, not speak to that, not not say that, you know, th- while we affirm that God is one, in essence, three in persons, that there is a, a there is a hard point where in our own human minds to comprehend that. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think that it would be really disturbing if we could fully understand God. Yeah. Right. And that's literally the concept of God. And um, we never will understand God completely while we're on this earth. And I think we have to be okay with that. I think it goes back to the same thing of when I'm talking to somebody and that we differ on like um, salvation, for instance, you know, like, right. um, is it all uh, a work of God where I have no choice in the matter? Or is it all a work of faith where I'm believing, you know, and like this divide between what people label as like Calvinism or Arminianism and whatever. And I think it comes back to the thing that there is a mystery in how God's grace comes down to me when I place my faith in him. Right. Um, and there's a mystery in how God relates, <laughs> how the Godhead relates. And um, there is a mystery there. And I think that that's okay. And um, I think it's us coming to the point where we're, we're able to be like, you know what, that's okay. And we can't illustrate everything with a little human picture. We need to state what the Bible says or what we believe and then understand that there's some mystery there. Right. And I guess I would just want to clarify that by saying this, just because there is mystery to these things does not mean that truth is not present there. Mm -hmm. Like just Mm -hmm. because there is mystery Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that anything goes. And I think this is important because we live in our society, the society today, I mean, even within Christian circles to hear that, Oh, those things are heresies. And I think the, probably the attitude of many in the church would be like, Oh, poo poo. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Why are we discussing this? Our generation's a a lot different in the sense that we kind of embrace mystery is like, well, you can't figure that out. And that's whatever's good for you. And yeah, but it it does matter because, Mm -hmm. With, I mean, just look back to the early church. I mean, look at the, uh, look, look at, you know, look at the council of Nicaea, look at, look at the significance and the, the, the discussion that went into actually just a, a, a turn of a phrase, not, not, not much in terms of wording at all, but yet was theologically significant regarding a person's salvation. I mean, regarding who Jesus was and who he is. Yeah. And so I think it is important. I mean, when we think about doctrine, it is important because at the end of the day, it is one of the foundations of our faith. It's it's one of the pillars of of truth, uh, you know, that we find in Scripture. And I think if we're wrong about some of these things, then we're wrong about the gospel. 
oh, if we're well. wrong about the gospel, then we're wrong about salvation. I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a theolo- I mean, there's an eternal weight. There, yeah. are, what you're saying is there's a lot of secondary issues in Christianity. Sure, but this isn't one of them. This right. is no, not. the essence of God. The identity is a primary of who God issue. is, is right. definitely not right. <laughs> a secondary so issue. So we need to do well as Christians within a society that we live in today, where the attitude is that anything goes. I think what 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 needs to happen in our gospel presentations and specifically in our teaching within the church that that we're explaining doctrine in a simplistic way so that people can understand heresy that they can understand distortions of what the bible is saying i think if we complicate things too much and then we just seem to muddy the waters and 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 most people can't they they can't follow that they can't follow that line of reason follow that and but i think we need to be very clear where the bible is clear and you know we can go to verses like um where we were in Deuteronomy 6 you know we can we can think about places like in Isaiah 61 where it says the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord capital L O R D has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so we just see that a God is one in essence. And then we also see in places like John 14, that Jesus talking about that, who has seen him has seen the father. Right? So I, I think, um, and as Hebrews, right? Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is not only theologically significant, that is significant in terms of my salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we've discussed all the way down through these misconceptions, these misunderstandings, and we've even defined some terms, I think what we want to do right now is we want to go to scripture now and see, we've already said that this word Trinity, this doctrine that we're talking about, um, it is a word that was used to describe a biblical concept of who God is. And so I think we want to see that biblical concept now in scripture. And I think there's a couple, at least, at least in my mind, there's two like huge passages that you got to deal with. And if we have time for more, great, but like, I think you got to deal with two if you want to get there. And, uh, one is Genesis one. And another one is Matthew three. And, um, I think if we have some time to maybe deal with Matthew 28 and some other, I think if we have some time to get to Matthew 28, I think we do that as well by way of Matthew three, but these are not the only verses. No, let's just say that too. These are what, when we say these are literally two, what I believe to be hinge point passages that there are so many other verses as we could go to Psalm two. Uh, we could go to John 14. Like you said, Isaiah, we could go like all over here, but I think the reason Genesis one is so important is because this is where time, <laughs> what we know is time, our time, uh, cause God is eternal. He lives outside of time, but this is where time began, uh, in, in our modern concept of the earth and everything that is. And, um, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Now, if you drop down to verse, um, 26 and 27, you also see there that it uses plural language with God saying, let us make man in our image and so on. And so, uh, you have a lot to do there, but you see here some things, you see the spirit of God, you see rain over the water, you see God, you see God speaking, which by the way, when you say God, you mean God, the father, uh, 
I I believe I'm yes. Just trying to clarify this. Here. I believe yes. <laughs> I believe so the Father's mm-hmm. present here. But here's where I believe the okay. Son comes in. Okay. You go over to John one. Mm-hmm. It says, "In the beginning was the Word." Mm. Now it refers later in that passage to Jesus being that Word uh, in John one. But it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And thus, I believe that Jesus being defined as the word is not just something that happened in John 1. I believe it was something that had been happening throughout time. And I believe Jesus was present in Genesis 1. God the Father was present. God the Spirit was present. And Yahweh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created the heavens and the earth. And I think you see that in scripture. I think it's right there. Um, you go down and you read uh, later in verses 26 and 27, like I said, in Genesis one, and you see, it says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's, who's us, the Godhead, <laughs> right? God, well, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy spirit. This just uh, makes me think of right away in Colossians that it's talking about Christ. Paul said, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So they were created by him. And then later on, it says through him and for him. And how was the earth created? Through Through the, through the the word word. of God. Yeah. And so I believe, I mean, I know that that might be a little like digging way too deep for some people to be like, Oh, like how do you do that? I think it's pretty clear. I think it's in the Bible. I think think Jesus Jesus. is the word Mm -hmm. and the earth was created by the word of God. And the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were there. Right. And uh, they were a part of that together. And it's important in Genesis because this is God revealing who he is. This is God revealing himself to us. And, and isn't so, that word used, like you talked about earlier, is it Elohim? Yes. Mm-hmm. The word for God there is Elohim. And that is a term that's used for God or gods. And um, it is interesting, though, because, I mean, that is how God is referred to in the Old Testament. It's not saying that that's not a term that can't be used for God, but it mm-hmm. is a generic term. But then when you see it the word... It is also a plural form. It is in the plural form, which is an interesting discussion yeah. to get into, but we definitely do not have time, time for that today. Unfortunately. But it would be a good discussion. <laughs> but it is a good discussion. Um, so me. I think that that is a hinge point Old Testament passage. Yeah, and then let's go to the New Testament. And let's do one in same, the New Testament. Same. So let's do um, Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3, yeah. and then we'll bookend that with Matthew 28. Because mm-hmm. I think that's important, but Matthew three thirteen, um, it's talking about when Jesus was baptized. It says, then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And, uh, you skip down and it says, and when Jesus was baptized, so the son, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God. There's the Holy spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice. The father from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. One passage, the three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, right there it is. Sure. It's and black and white. Yeah. And so what is significant about this? I'm going to ask Laura. All right. I'm What's gonna... the significance of of this particular passage? Yeah. yeah. Well, significant in what way? Well, the significance. I don't know. Like, like the I significance, mean, of, uh, significance of his baptism? Yeah, the significance of, of his baptism. baptism. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I do know that it was the beginning of his public ministry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we see at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, we see once again, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, all at work in redemption. Um, and you see that I think in fulfillment of Matthew 28, right? So as we go to the end of Matthew's gospel and as Jesus is giving what we would often refer to as the great commission, Jesus is sending out 
his disciples, and he says in verse 18, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's something significant about that as Jesus is commissioning his disciples that they are to go baptize people, go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So there's something significant. I think I think Matthew is showing us the significance of these of these things in Jesus's beginning of his public ministry, and then as we would kind of show here in Matthew 28, the end of it. Yeah, it's been said that the gospel is God allowing me to participate with Him in His relationship, and I think you see that here because what's happening is the the way that you identify as a born again child of God the way that you set yourself apart, the way that that relationship is um, not in the sense sealed, but almost in a way it's publicized and it's just made public is by what? By identifying with Yahweh, <laughs> the Lord, the father, the son, and the spirit. Um, Yahweh who was at creation, uh, Yahweh who was um, together present at Jesus' baptism, uh, you're identifying with Yahweh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in baptism at salvation. Can you say that again about um, like being brought into the communion with the Holy Spirit? Yes, so that is something that's, um, it's not original to me. It's not Mm -hmm. original to me. Um, I heard it in a class that Mm -hmm. I took in seminary, and then also I've read it in other places, but it's the concept that the gospel is when God, when, you know how it talks about he adopts me into his mm-hmm. family, how that literally uh, the gospel can be almost viewed as as me being allowed to participate in the relationship that God already has. You know, and when you read um, Matthew 28, that, you know, we're, we're being sent out to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it, it really, uh, like, automatically brought to my mind, like, restoration Hmm. how we this passage we always look at it as the great commission but for me it's also like this great restoration where we're brought back into unity and communion as we once were in the garden exactly and we're co-laborers with christ which is just astounding right which who is in the garden Yahweh. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah exactly Uh We're, we're brought back it's important because what the what what i i believe when we look at the bible and we see different passages that really bring out really the Trinity, the Godhead. We, we see just the love that exists within that relationship that God has uh, within the essence of who he is. Right. And so there is this perfect love and perfect harmony uh, in those things. And so then when through the work of Christ on the cross, his death, life, burial, resurrection, and, and now through the spirit of God, we are born into uh, Christ, we're, we're we're born again. We're 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 now attached. God's brought us into communion within. What Stephen's already saying, He's brought us into mm-hmm. communion with Himself uh, in that relationship that exists. It's that there. full circle of restoration fullness, and redemption, the fullness of love yeah. and and joy, and and what that means. I mean, Liter- that's the essence of that. Yeah, literally, when it talks about the love of God in Scripture, it's talking about the perfect love 
that the Trinity communes in mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the love that, that is there and that is present is this perfect love of God. And we have a chance to participate in that. Mm. We have a chance to take that love to others. Like how, how insane <laughs> is that? I, it gets me excited. Hopefully you're excited at home. So uh, we want you to be left on an exciting note though. And so you've listened to all this and you're trying to process this and you're like, man, what? I think I got some of that. Okay, good. Uh, what is the takeaways though here? Like, how should this affect me as a Christian? Uh, the fact that I am growing, because guess what? Whether you have um, been to seminary, you've never taken a course at all on the Bible, and this is all brand new to you, and you just got saved. Uh, we should all be deepening in our understanding of God and his word. So how should a deeper understanding of who God is, a Trinitarian theology, if you want to call it that, or an understanding of the Godhead, how should this affect me as a Christian? Anybody got anything like right off the um, top of your head? I think uh, the the deeper we understand this and the more kind of a fuller understanding we we glimpse of it, I think the more we appreciate the unity that we have with God through Christ, I think the more we comprehend the love of the Father, I think the more we understand what it means to be children of light. I mean, all three of those things, um, to me, seem to be you know, really significant that um, the church, the bride of Christ, ought to be the... Um, the, the the living manifestation of what it means to be in this communion. And so there should be just such a profound unity uh, that exists within those who are in Christ. There should be this mutual love uh, that we experience uh, through that love that we've been given of the Father. And I think it it, it, it shows us what it means to, to live in light and uh, to, you know, to, to not walk in darkness. Uh, but now we've been children of, you know, light. So I think those three things, those three words in particular would, would speak to me about that. What do you about you, Laura? Well, I was going to ask, and I guess we all would probably have different thoughts about this, but what does me as a believer, what does communing with the Trinity and being in fellowship with the Trinity, what does that mean and look like in my everyday life? Okay. I'm going to, I want to answer this, but I don't know if I'm answering this the wrong way. I think we, it would help us within the church to clarify um, our relationship to each person of the Trinity in our worship. So quite often, I mean, I guess Stephen talked about some pet peeves of his. I think one pet peeve of mine would be when people pray to Jesus Mm -hmm. because we're praying to the father. We, We pray to the father through the work of Christ uh, in participation of the spirit, right? So there's, it, it's significant in that, that, um, you know, they're, they're, so your pet peeve would be only like someone who's not only addressing the father, like you would say you personally wouldn't be addressing your prayers to Jesus or to the Holy spirit. I mean, I'm not going to split hairs over this, right? but, but that I'm, would be your pet peeve. I'm just saying, look at scripture. Jesus taught us to pray in what way our father. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is teaching us how to address God. And I find it interesting. He doesn't say Jesus or spirit or whatever. He's, he's a, we're to pray and address God. We're worshiping God uh, because it's Deuteronomy. Hero, mm-hmm. hero Israel, the Lord, our Lord is one. So right? what so, then would you make of, um, is it second Corinthians 13, think, 14, which talks about being in the communion of, with the Holy spirit. So Paul's telling them 
Participation of the Spirit. Well, yeah. Or it's also translated communion. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sometimes it's translated communion. Yeah, fellowship, communion, participation. You know, we talked earlier about how sometimes the Holy Spirit is the neglected part of the Trinity. What does it look like to you to be in fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit? we're, We're participating in that same Spirit. And so it's we're baptized into Christ through the work of the Spirit of God. The Bible's very clear on that mm-hmm. in the New Testament. So I, I think I think where a lot of this breaks down, and I, I don't want to be pragmatic in this, but I think mm-hmm. it does help. I think it helps us in our understanding of salvation as we think about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and the parts that each of them play, if I can say this, mm-hmm. the parts that each of them play in the work of redemption, that that story, that redemptive work, it helps us understand in physical terms what God is doing. I, that mm-hmm. may that may be a really bad way of saying that, but well, does me, that help? Me, I mean, me, is that And by the parts that they play, meaning God sent the Son who came yeah. to redeem, and then the Holy Spirit came to comfort, to sustain, to sanctify, and to um, help as we remain. That's kind of the parts that you're referring to, or give but or I'm take, saying right? It, it explains to me what's happening in salvation, that God is a righteous God. He's a righteous judge. He's... Um, you know, it, so so it, it's showing me something about God. It's showing me something mm-hmm. about God, and then and then thinking about His only beloved Son. That that's teaching me something about. That's teaching me something about what this relationship within the Trinity was like for God. And and then do you get what I'm saying? I feel like it's um, for you. It's I like a daily I, I, I'm understanding. Gonna I'm going to misquote, but I know it was C.S. Lewis. I know it was mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity. And I'm not sure if he applied it to this point in particular about the Trinity, but I know he was talking about it in terms of um, the he was talking about in terms of salvation words like, you know, sometimes people talk about justification or sanctification or, you know, it, different ways of explaining what happened in salvation. And and I, I can't remember what Lewis said exactly about it, but he was he, the basic essence of what he was saying. He was saying, you know, what whatever phrase helps you understand the significance of of what is represented by that picture, that's what's truly important here. And I think, uh, not that I'm saying that God is not the Father, not the Son, and not the Holy Spirit. He is. But I think in God revealing himself to us in that way helps us understand more maybe the essence of who he is and what the story of salvation, uh, that, that, that whole purpose plan of mm-hmm. salvation that God is accomplishing through creation and then through the work of Christ and through the coming of the Holy Spirit and the, you know, the consummation of all of these things like that to me, it's saying it's, it's helping me understand in, in human terms, um, maybe more of who he is. Yeah. My, is that, I feel like I'm saying something and maybe my, that's not making sense. So, no, I was going to ask Stephen. Look like he has a question. Like my teacher on his would face. always, my teacher who thought. like with this subject would always put it that like when putting in human terms, God the Father eternally beget the Son. Key there, eternally beget, <laughs> um, from whom the Holy Spirit proceeds uh, from God, right? And um, he would always use terms like that because we always get caught up in like, well, which one's more important? Well they're all important. <laughs> That's the whole so point of being one co-equal. God. <laughs> one God. Which one has more power? Well, they're all 
all powerful. Which one has the most authority? Well, technically, they're all have co authority together, right? And so, like, there's this, like, we always get caught up on, like, well, which one? And it's like, well, they're actually co equal. Because personally, I personally do pray to the Holy Spirit. And some people think that that is a little creepy and weird. And hey, you can have that opinion. I'm all about it. Uh, but the reason I do so is because he is the one who has been sent according to John 14 and 15 to indwell in me. And he teaches me all things. So thus there's this personal aspect there. And then also the second Corinthians passage. Time for this, but I feel like, but I just want to say like, hold on a second. What is the Holy spirit doing in the new Testament? He's, He's interceding. Huh? He's living inside Romans, of me. Romans. Romans. When we can't pray, even groanings, right? Groanings, which cannot be uttered. Right? Yeah, so sure. Through Christ, I mean, I see. See what I'm saying? Like, I think it. What, what ends up happening is we, we, we. But who we, does he intercede to? Huh? The Father and the Son and the Son. <laughs> so technically, so they're I'm all. Throw, they're I've just all been there. really silent here. Now, Aaron would pray to the Father. Now, again, we're just we're just sitting around smiling about this. And I and, and I you would pray too. to the Father. I pray to the Father too. I I pray and address each member of the Trinity depending really? on my prayer. So not at the same time, but I do pray to the Holy Spirit. I often ask the Holy Spirit to make me smarter than I am. <laughs> In certain so situations, or to give all. me wisdom, or you know, I've since he's living inside of me, and it's funny because we're all smiling, laughing around the table. There's different takes you can take, yeah. you can go with this or whatever, and you don't want to start splitting hairs or anything. But what we do agree on is that um, the we're tri- all addressing the same person, the same person, God, the right. same <laughs> essence, Yahweh, um, which is important. Yahweh. I think it's important to distinguish that important. because there would be many yeah. that would say they're approaching God through their prayers, and the God that they would be praying to would be described very differently than how God reveals himself in scripture. It's not Yahweh. So I'm just trying yeah. to make the point. It, it We might say like we're splitting hairs over these things. All I'm trying to say is the Bible's important. Yes. Yes. What God's revealed to us about who he is, is important. Mm-hmm. And what each distinctive person within the Trinity and the relationships that they, the, 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 um, the, the, while there is, unity in their essence and the fullness there is this individual personality and the um mm-hmm. you know functions within the trinity so i i just think it's that's all important because mm-hmm. they all have distinct relationships and the relationship the things that they are doing in those relationships matter mm-hmm. it's significant i'm just going to conclude conclude all i said today on the trinity with this one statement that i don't know who said it but someone <laughs> once said in referring to the doctrine of the trinity they said this Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Mm-hmm. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. And I would just say that's yeah. important because if you try to explain it, you will lose your mind. And at one point, all analogies break down. But if you try to deny it, you'll lose your soul because this is who the Bible has revealed God, the God of the Bible. To yeah, be. it the doctrine of the Trinity matters because it teaches us who God is. And he it matters in my daily life who God is and how I talk to him and how I, how I come to him. And, and I don't know, it's a, it's a big topic and you can get lost in the weeds over it, but the doctrine of who God is always matters. It's good. Mm -hmm. It matters. It matters in our evangelism. It matters in the way that we relate to one another. If you are related uh, based on the way that God, his love, his perfect love, which we're supposed to have, and you were to relate to everyone else like that. How about just in your family? or maybe just even in your church. Um, 
there would be a whole lot better um, family life and there'd be a whole lot better business meetings depending on what type of church you come from, right? And so uh, unity is a huge overflow of this. The way I love um, how people, how our personal makeup is, right? Like how do you believe that you as a human are made up when you're created in the image of God? Walking in the spirit, evangelism, all these things flow out of Mm. what I believe about the Trinity. Yeah, and okay, help me out here. When Jesus is praying for his disciples, he wants them to be one. In Jesus is praying to God the Father. Yeah, you know, he's praying to the Father. May they be one. But he's praying to the Father. And I asking, and my Father are one. Yeah, yeah. I and my yeah. Father yeah. are one. And he's yeah. praying for his disciples to be one right. just as they are one. Right. Yep. Yeah. Unity. It matters in the church um, because it matters to God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, hey, thanks for joining us for the discussion today. We look forward to having you join us here next time. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, if there's anything we've talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about or have a question of something we talked about, uh, be sure to engage with us through social media on Instagram or Facebook. You can send us a direct message there, and uh, Laura would love to uh, connect with you there on that. Also, uh, if you have yet to do so, we would really encourage you to go on Apple Podcasts and to rate and review Where We Land. Uh, This would be a great help as we're trying to get this out to more listeners So thank you again for joining us here and we'll see you here next time on the podcast.